Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15 this morning. And uh, it, uh, last week we ministered to you on the Psalms of Life. We had a great water baptism and all that was going on. That was an awesome time. Amen? Amen. It was so cool. If you missed that, you can go back and watch that service. But we had a great time and little Xander coming up and all the young people being baptized and everything. So it's always great to celebrate in God touching people's lives. Amen? So that's good. But it... Uh, We've been dealing with and, and kind of speaking to and talking about covenant in these last few sessions and going around it in a few different ways. A few weeks ago, I gave, walked you through the everlasting covenant of God. But this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about that in understanding covenant. We read in the Psalms last week, Psalms 23, that David ends, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And so God's desire in creating man was to have family. God's desire is to make you a part of the family. We are the family of God, amen? And we're brought into his family. His desire is that we would be with us. And so he's always working through his covenant relationship. He's always working to bring restoration into his family, to reconcile us back to him, to be with him. So I want to illustrate that a little bit this morning by going through Luke chapter 15 with you. And the parables that Jesus shared here, and I've done this several different ways in uh, dealing with, so I'm not going to break it down in the whole area of identity, value, and direction in that, but this is really one explanation that Jesus gives as what does it mean to be lost. And so in doing that, he uh, uh, gives... The Pharisees are there. They're upset at him for uh, hanging out with publicans and sinners and tax collectors and stuff. And so Jesus begins to explain to them what he's doing. What has happened is, you have to understand, Jesus is the covenant redeemer. He's our covenant redeemer. That means everything he did was under the provision of covenant. Everything he ministered to was out of the provision that was in the covenant that God has made with us. Amen? And so, and he's trying to give explanation of that, and because the people had drifted so far away from their understanding of their relationship with God, they didn't, they really missed what he was doing. Are you doing okay? And same thing with us, with the church. We've got caught up in a lot of other things, but when we really come back to the Word of God and study the Word of God and God's revealed plan, then it gives us clarity to what God is doing in the earth. And then how to live and to walk in the provision that he has for our life. So let's make our declaration before we read this. Did you bring your Bibles this morning? All right, well, let's make our declaration. Are you ready, guys? This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. And I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you in these next few moments as we open your word. Your word will speak the life that it contains into our hearts. And, Lord, we'll receive it. We'll guard it, we'll protect it, we'll declare and, and that we are good ground and that your word will produce the 30, 60, and the 100-fold return of increase into your kingdom in Jesus' name. And somebody said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Luke chapter 15, well, just at the beginning of your outline, I have a couple things that I say there. We would all agree that God loves us. Amen? We'd all agree that he has provided for us. We would all agree that he will protect us. And we'd all agree that he will comfort us. But the question is, how do we live in all that the Father has for us? How do we live in all that? Well, I agree. Amen, amen, amen. But then how do I live in that? The way you live in that is you abide in him. Or in other words, put it down. You might want to write in your notes just right alongside there. Just write in there, stay home. Yeah. 
Just stay home. Jesus said that we abide in him. We live in him. The word abide means to live in, settle down in, take up residence in. So in order to abide in or how to live in all the Father has for us, we just have to stay home. Luke chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll come and walk back through it. Look at verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near him to hear him. How many know God's house ought to be open to those that the world doesn't think are worthy? Amen. We need to be open to everyone. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Sometimes we get saved and and we get a little snooty in our perspective on things. We always want to make sure that we don't get that way. Amen. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained saying, man, look at the people that you're letting come to church. Look at the people that you're hanging out with. Years ago, my pastor in our home church, when he was in Marysville there, he started going out on the streets and bringing everybody. So he had all these hippies and people coming in with bare feet and dirty and everything else. And so all the sanctified people were a little upset. Amen. In fact, they got really upset. In fact, it even a lot of them even left the church because the wrong crowd was coming to church. Amen. Now, I know none of you would ever have that attitude. I'm just talking about people that needed a heart change. Amen. Hallelujah. So we have to watch this. So look what these people are saying. But look what it said. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now remember what I said. Jesus is the covenant redeemer. And God created us. God created humanity, all of humanity, to be family with him. So God wants everybody restored. Amen. He wants everybody restored in relation with him. So out of their criticism, it says that Jesus spoke this parable to them saying, verse 4, what man of you having a hundred? Somebody say having a hundred. That's important. So he has a hundred. Having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it what? On his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. And so we need to get that, that God, heaven, is looking to rejoice over just one. Amen? Verse 8, or what woman having 10 silver coins, somebody say having. So she has them, having 10 silver coins. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Praise the Lord. Then in verse 11, he said, and a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. Verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and began, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the field 
to feed swine. Verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. It's important to remember that. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when the father still a great way, when when the father saw, excuse me, but when he was still of great still a great way far off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said, somebody said the father said. Come on, it's always important to know what the father does. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For my son was what? Dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now here comes a challenge to us. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near the house and heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not his brother, how many know sibling rivalries are just awesome? And uh, that's why they say, I remember that old joke, forget who it was, says, says, you're not a real parent till you have at least two kids. <laughs> Amen. This son of yours came who has devoured his livelihood with what? Harlots, and you killed the fatted calf for him. Now, wait, did it, where did it say that his son did that? It didn't say that his son did that. You always have to remember, what you accuse others of is usually what's in your heart. He's declared what you would have done. If I'd have taken my money, that's what I would have done. Amen. So watch it. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that you have, all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now that's a lot to read, but I want you to walk through this with me. So Jesus tells three parables in response to the murmuring of the scribes and the Pharisees over him receiving sinners. What was it? It was lost sheep, one of a hundred. It was a lost coin, one of ten. It was a lost son, one of two. Three things were established in each of those cases. Number one was ownership. Having, that word having, having a hundred sheep, having ten coins, having two sons. That ownership is established there. 
And then there is the condition of each. Each one is lost due to direction, value, and identity are there. Sheep lost, sheep is lost direction. Coin is a lost value, and a son is lost identity. But then you have the restoration of each, which reverses that and gives back identity, gives back value, and gives back direction. To walk with me this morning, what's important and what is God trying to do in our life? How is God redeeming the world to himself? We have to understand that repentance is key to restoration. Repentance is key to restoration. And it's not just important that you repent the day that you get saved. It's important that we live in up-to-date repentance. Amen, daily. That's why 1 John is written to believers. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us to all unrighteousness. But John precedes that by saying that we're supposed to be in fellowship with him. And how many know we all deal with this? Anytime we're letting up and we're becoming casual in our relationship with God, we're maybe making choices that we know aren't right. We have some conviction in that. We're, we're kind of, uh, our conscience is checking us. But we're going ahead and doing that anyway. Amen? How many know that, that that affects our relationship? We don't feel as open. We don't feel as free in approaching the Father. We, we begin to draw back a little bit. That's the time, man, I, I might need to make an altar somewhere, get down, just say, Lord, forgive me, that I might need to operate in some repentance. Amen? So repentance is not for the person just getting saved for the first time. Repentance is a lifestyle that we live in in keeping our relationship right with God. How many of you spouses have ever had to repent to your spouse? How many of you have ever had to ask for forgiveness or apologize? Asking for forgiveness and apologizing is an act of repentance. Are you doing all right? And so we deal with that with God. When you look at verses 7 and 10, talking about the lost sheep and the lost coin, there's a general reference to repentance there, that all heaven rejoices over one sinner that repentant, that, that repent. But when you come to the Son, you have a real-life application of repentance in the restoration of the Son with the Father. And then we also see that heaven rejoices when true repentance takes place. Amen? So look inside your outline. Let's ask this question, who's a sinner? Who's a sinner? Romans 3 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? Romans 8 says, while we were yet sinners, God commended his love towards us. Amen? And Romans 6 says, except, you know, in, in Matthew, Jesus said, except you repent, you also likewise perish. So repentance is key. So who must repent? The answer is just everyone. Amen? Everyone. Go with me to Luke chapter 13. You're in verse 15 there. But go to Luke 13. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus says this, verses 1 through 5. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, yeah, that's weird, but do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you what? Repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So think about that. Jesus said except. The word except means, and he said unless, except, unless, and if not, is so important. So what is repentance? Repentance, the Greek word there is given metandib. It is to think differently 
or afterwards to reconsider morally to feel compunction. Compunction means anxiety of the conscience caused by regret for doing wrong or causing pain. How many know we say, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross? How many know his pain was because of my sin? And unless I really have some, some, some anxiety or remorse that my sin caused his death, are you doing all right? Until then, I haven't truly repented. And even in our walk with God, th- this area is so important. So we're talking about how do I live in the provision of God, live in all these provided for us, his love, his care, his compassion, his provision. How do I live in that? One is I have to have a right heart that is truly repentant in order to be truly restored to God. Could you say Amen. That is just so important to understand. And then to keep my heart right in that area. That when we do things, it grieves the heart of God. And the Bible said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. There are things there that grieves God's heart in our conduct and our action. So there has to be some anxiety of the conscience that has regret for what we did. Because our sin produced his pain. So what is repentance? Just very simply it is to change one's mind for the better. Not merely to forsake sin, but to change one's mind, one's attitude towards it, and our love for it. Why is it so hard for Because most of the time, we really love what we're doing. We're convicted about it, but we love that. I'll tell the story. I've used this a lot of time differently, and somebody here would go, this, I would never do anything like that. That seems kind of crazy. But when we were pastoring in Bieber... In one of the services there, the Lord just gave us a word, and we dealt and prayed to break addictions off of people's lives. And this one lady who, 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 her and her husband, they just, you know, smoked like chimneys. They just smoked a lot. Now, people say, well, is smoking a sin? No, I wouldn't say it's a specific sin. You just get to go to heaven sooner. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, she wanted to be delivered, so we prayed for her. And God completely set her free. She lost all of her craving, no desire to smoke. God broke that spirit of addiction off of her life. Amen. Amen. And just, just so you understand, nicotine is one of the most addictive drugs in our society. One of the hardest things for people, people get off heroin easier than they get off cigarettes. And so in dealing with that. But anyway, God broke that off of her life. And then uh, the, the Bible says, how many know that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God? Amen. And so three days later, but her husband didn't come up for prayer, so he's still smoking. That's the day where, how many know people, remember people had that giant ashtray on the chair, be, coffee table between their two chairs and stuff, had the two recliners and the giant, the ashtray this big, the mountain butts like that, you know, in there. And uh, so she was sitting there in the living room. They had that giant ashtray there, and uh, she's sitting there, and she's thinking, well, if God really delivered me, she said, I've heard of people that God delivered them, and then when they tried to smoke again, they got sick. And uh, so she went and grabbed that cigarette. She, she went and reached in the ashtray and got a smoldering butt and began smoking, and nothing happened. She just smoked. It was just like it was before. And so she came to see me and said, Pastor, Pastor, I don't know what happened. He said, I thought God delivered me, and so I tried to do this. She said, I've even heard that, and I didn't get sick. I just, it just felt just like it did before. I said, yeah. I said, you were tempting God. You were tempting God to see if he had really delivered you. He delivered. You've been free for three days, but you had to make God, make God prove himself to you. You wanted God to jump through your hoop. 
and prove himself to you. And I said, the problem is, is you loved smoking more than you loved being free. What I mean is we, we love our sin. We love the thing that we have. And we don't realize we love the thing that actually keeps us in bondage and is detrimental not only to our physical health, but to our spiritual well-being as well. Amen? And so we have to learn in that area, repentance means that we have to change our attitude towards it and our love for it. Without a changed mind and an attitude towards sin, I only have distance between it. I can put distance between that thing and me, but if I don't really change my mind to it, there'll come a day where I'll come back in contact with it, and it'll be a stumbling block for me again. Are you with me? Therefore, it's commanded by God as a condition, repentance is, for forgiveness and restoration. So who must repent? All must repent. We read it in Luke there, Acts 2.38. They said, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Go with me to Acts chapter 17. This is Paul preaching on Mars Hill, and he makes this declaration as he's preaching there. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, these times of ignorance God overlooked. Paul's speaking about what has happened and things and, and everything leading up to here. God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul preaching in Athens there on Mars Hill is telling them that there was a time when God had space in there, but now that Christ has come, everyone is commanded to repent. So everybody has to repent. What does that mean? Just like the prodigal son, there's a place where we come to ourselves. That means that I see the real me. That's a hard thing to do. One of the hardest things to do is be honest with yourself. Amen. In helping people through situations that they have, one of the biggest stumbling blocks we have is denial. Anybody ever been in denial besides me? I'm good. I got this. It's not that bad. I'm under control. No, that's just denial. You, we all need help. Amen? And so until we can become honest with ourselves, see the real us, and accept the reality that my choices have produced a harvest in my life. That's what's so important. When I come to that place, repentance means I come to the place, wait a minute, I'm in this condition, I'm experiencing these circumstances, all because of the choices that I made, and those choices have produced a harvest that I'm living in right now. And that goes on, no matter how long you've been saved, we're all making choices. Every day, you and I are making choices. And a choice is a seed. Everything in our life is in seed form. Can you say Amen. Everything in our life is in seed form. So every choice is a seed that gets sown in action that will produce a harvest. So watch this. Always remember, always remember, everything the Father has is with Him. Everything the Father has is with Him. Everything we will ever need or desire is in Him and more. So why do I repent? Why do I walk in this attitude towards God? Why do I keep my heart right towards God? Let me just challenge you today in this. And there's been such an urgency, and I know it seems like I'm kind of pressing on these points, but living in the day and the hour that we are in, this is the day to know that you know that you know you are right with God. Amen. I don't care how long you've been saved. Time doesn't mean, how could I say this? We have all known people who have been married a long time and end up separating. Amen? 
Time together doesn't validate the condition of the relationship. That's what I'm trying to say. Just because I've walked with somebody for a long time, it doesn't mean the relationship is okay. Doing all right? So our goal is make sure the relationship is okay. Make sure everything that is right in the relationship. And so in our walk with God, that's that place where I just get casual. I just take everything for granted. We talk about it a lot in our men's ministry, and I'm pressing on our men. Men, don't lose your prayer. Keep pressing. Don't get to that place where I know enough and I don't have to grow anymore. We're, we're to always be growing in God. Amen? Always to be pressing for the more that he has in our life. So in this area, everything the Father has with us. And so I want to be pressing into relationship with him. My motivation and my reason to return to him and keep my relationship right. Because I realize everything I need and everything I desire is with him and in him. Amen? So when we look at the parable of the prodigal, we learn a few things. What happens there with the son? The son chooses to depart. Amen. The son chooses to depart. And, and we have to understand that. We make choices. When I get in conflicts and everything I do, I go back and I say, Lord, I, I need to change that. So repentance is always a change in mind. And I get in conditions that are right. Man, I just need to get back to what I know is right. Amen. But the son chose to, re- to depart. It was a personal choice. The results of his choices produced a personal harvest. Conviction and resolve as a result of his choices came about when he faced the reality. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and a return and a welcome followed that. What that means is, is that you and I, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. You know what Jesus said? Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So what happens? The son is coming. The father sees him afar off. What does he do? He runs towards him. Once you start moving towards God, he moves towards you. And I just want to encourage you, always keep moving towards God. And again, just especially in this day and this hour, I'm looking at what's happening in our world. I'm looking at the insanity that's out there. I'm looking at all the things that are rising up, even in the Christian culture today, the things that are being said, the, the kind of the, 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 we are the disinformation generation. There's information out there, but it's not the information that we need. So to understand what's going on in these things, then we really have to be a people who want to know the truth and seek after the truth. And so it's so important that we keep our our relationship with God so important to keep moving towards him. But then we find out that it doesn't stop there. He runs to us. It doesn't stop there. But the son goes ahead and confesses his repentance. He doesn't just let the father fall on him and hug him. He goes ahead and finishes completely his repentance towards the Father, and lets the Father then move in complete restoration towards him. Can you say amen? So that's what happened. It brings about reconciliation and rejoicing. So watch this. Here's some questions that we have to ask ourselves in understanding. How does God work in our life? The first question is, what did the Father do when the Son left? Huh? Well, Well, he just didn't do anything. The father didn't do anything. This will help some of us today. What did the father, where, excuse me, where did the father go when the son left? He went nowhere. What did the father do when he left? He did what? Nothing. Whose choice was it to leave? The son. Could the father stop him? No. Did he try? No. Did only one son receive his inheritance? 
No, they both did. He brought the two sons together. When the younger asked for his part, the father can't give the younger his inheritance without giving the firstborn his. Firstborn always gets his first. And the firstborn, according to Deuteronomy, always gets a double portion. That's so important. So the older brother, who was all upset at his younger brother doing that and said, you haven't given me nothing, and I'm throwing this in here a little bit early, we have to guard your heart. If you've lived in the goodness for too long, you take his goodness for granted. You've lived under the blessing of God, and you start start depreciating the blessing instead of being thankful on a continual basis for everything God's done in your life. Amen. So the older brother had been brought together with the younger brother, had received a double blessing, but later on when the younger brother comes back, he says, you never gave me anything. Dude, you've already got your double portion. But you count that as nothing. I want to just encourage you, never count what God's done in your life. Every believer should be able to rejoice and be thankful because God has done so much in your life. Amen. You should never be a thing. Well, God, or look at somebody else who God is blessing. It looks like they're getting blessed, but you like, a, well, God, you bless. You get that jealousy thing going on. Amen. Never let that creep into your heart. Could you say amen? Hallelujah. So watch it. <clears throat> so they both got there. The question is, what did the youngest do with what was his? Paul just says he wasted it. He wasted it. Make sure that you're not wasting what God has blessed you with. Amen. So again, let's go back to What was the father doing during this time for his son? Nothing. Nothing. You just really have to stay with me through this whole thing. It'll help you. Everything the father has is mine, or I can leave with just my inheritance. That's two sides of the Everything the father, Jesus said, everything the father has is mine. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and show it to you. And we're join heirs with him. So if I'm a join heir with Christ, and everything the father has is Christ, and I am in him, what do I have? Everything, everything the father has is mine. But it is mine through abiding. It is mine through staying home. It is mine through not thinking I could get more out there. Everything God has for me is in him. So I have to live in him, settle down in him, take up residence in him. Amen? Jesus taught in John 15 about the vine and the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. But I'm the the, the vine, you're the branches. My life flows from me out through you and produces increase through your life. So watch this. Everything the Father has is mine, or I can leave with just my inheritance. I can live in him, though, and never use my inheritance. Amen. The fa- and we gave it to you in covenant with David and Mephibosheth. When David went and got Mephibosheth, he brought him back to the palace, restored him. and says, I'm restoring to you everything that is yours. Here is everything that belongs to you, but you're not going to live with that. You can continually eat at my table. You'll continually be in my presence in need of my provision. You're not going to use your resources. You're going to live out of my resources. Thank God for his resources in our life. Amen? That we live by his provision. So many times we're struggling and missing that. So many times we're struggling in provision. We have trouble at honoring God with our finance because we're living out of our own instead of living in his. Amen? So the father, watch this though, understand, the father gave them their portion. He never gave all. He had only their portion to them. Amen. Now catch this. I put this here. Neither the father nor the son ever chase rebellion. There's two things that happen in this parable. 
or three things. Well, there, there's two things. There, there's something that is lost, and there's someone that left. The shepherd goes after what was lost. The woman searches for what was lost, but the father doesn't go after what left. Did you get that? And so God doesn't chase us when we leave. When we get distracted, we get lost, we lose our direction, different things. If something is lost, then he searches for us. Jesus came to seek and to save the what? The lost. But things that run away, he doesn't chase them. Are you doing all right? That's so important to understand. So watch this. Look at the next page of your outline. What does that mean? It means you search for what is lost, but you never chase what leaves. You search for what is lost, but you never chase what leaves. The cost of discipleship is to follow and to stay with him. Amen. And then we carry a heart that always is loves and restores when they return. So the father didn't chase the son, but he maintained his heart to love and to restore. Amen? But something happened. We want to chase those who leave. We want to provide for those who leave. You have to understand, the, the more you chase those who leave and provide for those who leave, who, who demand what is theirs and run off on their own, the more you prolong the time between them coming to their self and really finding repentance. Or the way I always say this when I talk about this and use this illustration, the father did not send a happy meal to the pig pen. You don't send happy meals to the pig pen. Amen. Now, our heart, especially when it's our children and our loved ones, is to go out there and help them while they're running away. They're not just lost. If they've turned their back and run away... If they've asked and they know, look at the sunset. I know what I'm doing. I'm out of age. I'm here. I'm there. And that, that's an act of rebellion. Yeah. Amen. And turning away and running away. So in that, you maintain your heart. I'm here. The day you come home, you will find forgiveness and restoration. But I'm not going to chase you. And I'm not going to supply you in your rebellion. I'm not going to fund your rebellion. Does that make sense? And for, that is super hard to do, and I understand that as parents. It's really, really hard to do. But then we have to follow what the Father does. So we're doing okay. I never make friends with this, but that's all right. I just stay with the Word and go with that. Amen? So now watch this. We have to also be careful. Our posture is always to be to forgive and restore when they return. But here's something that's very interesting. In many Christian circles, people want, want to attribute the negative in our life to God trying to teach us something. God teaches you something by allowing you to experience the fruit of your choices. But he doesn't make you choose things that are negative in your life. We, we make the choice. He lets us experience the fruit of our choices so we'll learn to not make bad choices and come to ourselves. Amen. Now watch it. Never attribute something to God that you would not do. And they say, well, well, you know, the Lord put this on them to teach them that. Well, would you put that on your kid? Would you give your kid cancer to teach them to love you? 
to show them, would you put anything on your children negative, detrimental to their health or to their life or dangerous to their existence? Would you do any of that to teach your children you love them? Then why would people, why would Christians attribute that to God? If you're made in the image and you're partakers of his nature and in your nature you couldn't do that to your own children, why would you declare the Heavenly Father does that to his? Are you doing all right? It's a religious, demonic spirit that attributes death and pain and, and, and those type of things to God working in somebody's life to teach them something. Going back to Bieber, we were in that same place. We had a men's breakfast one morning, and some guy tried to convince me that God was doing all this stuff. And I just said, hey, do you, do you, have, a, do you have any kids? He goes, yeah, I have a son at home. I said, well, when you go home after breakfast this morning, just take your son out in the garage, grab a hammer, put his hand up on the workbench, and smash a couple of his fingers. And tell him, son, I love you. You're going to have to experience pain in life, so let me just give you some pain so you know how to deal with it. Well, I would never do that. I know that's called child abuse. And in our society, we would take your right to be a parent. We would take your child away from you for doing that, and we would incarcerate you so you couldn't do it to anybody else. We used to do that. We don't have any of those. We don't enforce that anymore. We would not allow that to happen. But yet, that's what we say about God. The Lord put that on them. The Lord gave them that. No, if I'm his child and I'm in his house and I'm living in a right relationship with him, I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Lord is my healer. He removes sickness from me. I live in his provision. I dwell in his presence. I abide under his power. Amen. When I make choices, he releases me to my choice. When I choose to run away, he releases me to my choice. And he says, you will learn from your choices. That's why the Bible says, Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He allows us to reap the consequences of our negative choices. So we'll learn not to make them anymore. We live in a society where, watch what's happening in our society. Nobody is being made to reap the consequences of their negative choices. We're not enforcing our laws. We're, we're, nobody's being persecuted for, or prosecuted for what they do wrong. So consequently, they're doing it wrong. And our culture and our nation and our world is going to hell in a handbasket. Amen. We, we've lost all control. We have riots on our streets. We have everything that's supposed to be liberal, that's supposed to be progressive, that is marching against everything that is right, that is true, and is just, and it's being allowed without any consequences. Because we've raised children up with no consequences, no discipline. We went from correction to timeout. We put kids in corner, and Johnny goes over in the corner, he's standing there. He says, man, I'm sitting down, but on the inside, I'm standing up. I'm preaching pretty good this morning, but it's all right. So watch it. So never attribute something to God that you would not do. The father did not allow the son to go to the pig pen so he could learn a lesson. The son chose to go. The son came to the father and said, give me mine. The dad didn't say, get out. The son said, give me mine. I'm out of here. The heart of the father was always to have his son with him. The son was of age, free to make his own choice for his life. The father did not set this up. The son had the right to choose. And as I was preparing for this, I, I, I posted a little thing on Facebook and says that there are 4,000 scriptures <coughs> in, uh, uh, in the Bible that refer to choice, our personal choice. Amen. And then I put, God designs destiny, man chooses. 
God designs our purpose and our destiny. We choose whether we will walk in it or accept it. When God says the predestination is God's predetermined plan for our life, he says, here, here's my plan for your life. Choose whether you want it or you want to do your own life. That's where every one of us is. We're either choosing his purpose and plan for our life or we're choosing our own. God says you get to make your own choice. So it started a whole debate over man's free will and choice. So it's kind of interesting. I thought, well, that's interesting. Amen. So glory to God. Facebook's kind of fun sometimes. A lot of times kind of stupid, but hallelujah. So watch this. Let me close with this. Repentance and restoration are always available anytime, was always available anytime from the moment the son left. The son could have returned at any time. He did not have to go all the way to the pig pen. Amen? Repentance is available anytime. The key is turn around quick. Turn around quick. All these years of pastoring, over 40 years of pastoring now, I would just turn around. Turn around. Don't keep going. Turn around before it gets any worse. Come on, going in that direction. In fact, let, let, let me give you this. Go, go to Hebrews chapter 6 real quick. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Wow. So what's it? Repentance, so what? Repentance from dead works. I'm going in the wrong direction. I come to myself and I realize, wait a minute, I need to repent. So now repentance is going in the direction of dead work. I repent, and now I turn around, and now I have faith towards God. Now I'm going towards, I'm moving. Instead of going in dead things away from him, repentance means I turn around and I begin to exercise faith towards God, believing that he loves me, that he'll forgive me, that he'll restore me, that everything I need is in his house. That's what the son said. Why am I living here as a slave when I was born a son? Why am I living as a slave at the level of a slave, at the condition that a slave would exist in when I was born a son? That's what you need to hear that everybody needs to hear. All of humanity is living as a slave to sin, but we were born as sons and daughters of God. Amen. Amen. And Jesus is working to bring us back. That's this whole illustration. People are mad because he's eating with public and sinners. Why? Because they're living as slaves to the yoke and the bondage of sin. Romans 6 says that we were slaves to sin, but now Christ has redeemed us. Think about this. It's even the thing. What, what, what are we upset about? There's a hostage crisis going on right now in Gaza with people being taken captive and held against their will. That's what the Bible says, that the God of this world has taken us captive and has held us under the bondage of sin, but Jesus came and paid the ransom for our freedom to set us free from being held and to be set free and restored back to the family that we belong to. Amen. Amen. And so in this, watch this, he didn't have to go all the way. Now listen, it's not consistent with the heart of the father to rub his, his son's face in pig slop to get him back. What do I mean by that? God doesn't rub your face in your mistakes. Are you doing all right? 
God never rubs you. Look, what are all the illustrations? Think about the woman caught in adultery. She's there to be stoned. Amen? And then Jesus challenges them. Let he who is out sin, what? Cast the first stone. And so when everybody departs, Jesus doesn't rub her face in her adultery or, or in her situation. He just says, woman, look around. Where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. Go and what? Sin no more. Turn away from your dead work and now start walking with faith towards God. Are you doing all right? Amen. So watch this. <clears throat> the love of the father or the choice of a son. We have to ask ourselves, where am I today? And I am, am, am I at home or am I in a far country in my heart? Where's the father in our life? And where are my choices taking me? Think about where you are right now, my friend. Where are your choices taking you? What choices am I making around relationships, around activities, different things that we're doing? Where are my choices taking me? If I follow them out, if I keep going down those, that path with those choices, where will I end up? Amen. So repentance and restoration, a wrong perspective towards it is number one. How long do I have before I have to really repent? <laughs> Amen. And number two, how many chances do I get? Amen. How many know that is kind of like a dangerous game? Amen. We should be asking ourselves this. Why stay here when I could be at home? That's what the son said. He came to him and said, why would I stay here when I could be home? Why would I stay in there? So I, all my rationale, all my denial, all the, quit living in that arena and just turn around and just think about home one more time. Why stay here when I could be home? Why live as a slave when I was born a son or a daughter? So here's the thing that we have to ask ourselves too when I said this. Who are you chasing? So remember, never chase what leaves but seek what is lost. So for us the church, over the years, who was, uh, I remember Bob Yandian wrote about it, and over the years I've done this, it's different, but the more you try to chase what leaves and you bring it back, it seems like it doesn't stay very long. A little bit, it'll run off again and run off again and run off again, and that. So sometimes that's why you have to let some people and some things come to themselves, amen? So then they stick of their own volition, of their own will. They choose to stay. They choose to remain. Amen. They're tired of going there. They're tired of, of just one more time. So they stay and it sticks. But when people that are lost, when they just don't know, when something's happened, there's a difference between redeeming what was lost and chasing what left. Amen. Again, remember there's a difference between lost and left. So here's our question. Who are you looking for? We should be looking for those who are lost, and for those who have left to return. Remember what the father. So we, we go after the lost, but we look for those. We never quit looking and expecting the return of those who left. That's what the father did. The father was there looking every day for the son to return. I never quit looking for them. I never quit believing for them. I never quit praying for them. I never quit declaring God's word over them. Amen? I'll share with you like this. Our, Sue, and, Sue and I, her, our son Austin, raised our son up, went through a season, got up, and became a man. And so uh, at like 21, he went into the military. 
and uh, joined the Air Force and that. But then he just started going off in a direction, choosing to go in a way that he knew wasn't right. I'd see him and have different debates and arguments over different things and stuff. Well, you know, in fact, we were with him one time in South Carolina. We were stationed there and sitting in a hot tub. And he goes, we're sitting there. We're just talking about it. Well, you know, Dad, the Bible's written by man. There's a lot of different errors and stuff like that. I said, son, you probably don't want to go there with me. <coughs> just enjoy the hot tub and you'll be a lot safer. Amen. It's deep enough right here. You could drown. Amen. But I had to let him go because he was choosing to leave and go. So I had to let him go. And then finally through his choices, he ended up getting married, being married to a young lady. That marriage fell apart, a lot of pain and agony through all of that after about less than two or three years. And that, their time together, but then the time they were married was just a very short time. And so then he got restationed. They went through divorce. He got restationed from South Carolina to Pennsylvania. And we're talking, I just said to him, I said, son, I raised you to know the truth. And you know it. But I can't make you choose the truth. You have to make that choice for yourself. I said, because we raised you, you know all the answers. You can quote the scriptures. You can give, you know, all the religious things to say. You can say all the right things. But knowing is not choosing do you understand that? Sometimes in our own Christian life, we think because we know something, we've chosen that as the direction for our life. But our conduct doesn't prove that. Amen? And so I said, your problem is, son, I said, you've never made the choice to be all in with God. You never made the choice to give your life completely to the Lord. I said, why don't you try being all in? Why don't you try giving your life completely to God and serving Him? I said, you're in a new place with new people with a fresh start. Why not just start new? So he did that. He made the choice to go all in with God. You know what happened? Within two years, he met his wife, Teresa. They've now been married for nine years. They have three of our grandchildren. He's been on staff at the church at Intersection there for over eight years. Answered the call of God to the ministry. Went to school, got his master's degree, and uh, is a licensed marriage and family life counselor and helping people in the body of Christ to restore their homes and their marriages. And now he's pursuing his Ph.D. in family in, in, in that area through Cordova, Cordilla, Cordova University. I can't, I forget it. I'll get it wrong. Sue, you should be here to tell me. <laughs> so, uh, but he's in, in the pursuit of getting his PhD in that, in ministry. But God brought, watch, when he came to himself, but he had to make the choice to be all in. So I couldn't go to him. I couldn't help him. I couldn't facilitate that. So he had to run through a 12-year thing. So I just kept expecting to see him return. And now as a father, my heart is full to see forgiveness and restoration fully coming to pass in his life. And that's what you hold on to for those that leave. 
But then at the same time, I've been reaching out to those that God leads in my life that are just lost. Amen? And so you reach the lost, you bring them back in, you carry them in. Is this helping anybody this morning? I hope so. So lastly, here's our question. Maybe the worship team come back. I ask you, where are you today? If you're here, you're watching online, the question is, where are you today? Are you lost? Then you need to know that God's searching for you. Jesus is searching for you. He came to seek and to save the lost. Or have you left? If you've left, then he's waiting for you to return and to restore you. The father's standing there looking for the son to return, not to condemn him in any way, but so that he could restore him back to his rightful place as the son. Amen. And I love that story when I teach that on, on the identity, value, and direction God gave him. The first thing the father did was run out to meet him. He said, go put a robe on him. The robe covered the son. He said, nobody will see my son in his sin. When he enters into the house, he'll be covered with the robe of identity of a son. When God meets you, he covers you with the robe of his blood. So nobody looks at your past and judges you by your past. They see you as your rightful identity as a son or daughter of God. God's restoration always covers your past. God's restoration always covers your past. The next thing he did, he put that ring upon his hand. The ring was a signet of value. It was a family ring that meant provision had been restored in his life. He was living under the provision of the house. Amen? And then he put shoes on his feet, which are protection for your path and for your direction. So he restored his identity, restored his value, and restored his direction. That's what God always does when we return. And if we get in the process of that, if we chase those who left, we prolong the restoration coming to completion. Amen? Go after the lost, but look for the, those who left and let God bring it to pass. And then remember this. The older brother is a good self-check for us all to guard our heart. He never physically left home or physically got lost, but only in his heart and attitude towards the father and his brother. So he also needed forgiveness and restoration. So the question is, what is our relationship with the Father today? And I've pastored long enough to have people, come on, when people are making a mistake, please keep your heart humble, keep your heart's attitude right towards people, towards God, and towards others. Amen? Never let that older brother syndrome skip in there, slip in there, and have resentment or different things. Just always desire to see the lost found and those who have left to be restored. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?